Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pioneer Museum podcast. My name is Justin. I'm Melanie. And today we're talking about men of letters. And what does that mean? It's a term I didn't really hear until like last week. <laughs> when I mentioned it, probably. Yeah, when you mentioned it. Well, I'm full of useless facts. So uh, men of letters are men that are educated. They've been well educated. It's kind of an old term. And you would, a, a gentleman with a degree, someone that's literate, that can write, that can read, that they usually have letters behind their last name, mm-hmm. you know, the PhD or MD or even their, you know, bachelors or masters. They're just well-educated men. Why do doctors get to be called doctors if they have a doctorate, but masters, people who have master's degree don't get to be called master? I make everyone call me master. I know. I, I, <laughs> ever since I got my master's degree, I wanted to start including it as a prefix. <laughs> master Justin. You know, there are some people I do find in emails that they will end it with BA or MA or MS or whatever. But the one thing nobody, bachelor people that have bachelors in science never... <laughs> Put BS behind their name. <laughs> like a BS MFA for me. So it's like, yeah, that's that's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that even requires an explicit tag because it's all implied. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's uh, let's get into it. So we're talking about uh, three gentlemen today that are would be considered, I think, men of letters of our community. That we are going to discuss Esty Myers, Royston Crane, and Temple Dixon today. So, and we actually, a little play on words, I think we kind of like to do that even with our last episode. We talked about colors and royalty, and uh, we even got into some segregation talk too. And I thought that was kind of neat <laughs> that we were, you know, <laughs> talking about colors. But so today we are discussing men of letters, but we are introducing them to you guys through some of the letters that they've written, some of their correspondence. We're lucky to have some pretty valuable correspondence between these gentlemen and one that will cover S.D. Myers and Royston Crane since they were contemporaries. Temple, I guess, is the young one of the bunch Mm -hmm. of these men. So who do you want to start with, Justin? I guess let's start with S.D. Myers. Okay. So a little bit about S.D. Myers. He was born on November 22nd of 1871. Um, He moved to Sweetwater, Texas when he was 26 in 1897. He purchased the saddle and harness shop uh, or business of what's what does J.K. Polk stand for? I couldn't find it. Is it James? I think it is James, but that is the the president too, James Polk. Oh, so that may be why we're thinking of it. I, but probably. But I don't think I've actually seen anything in any of the references that we have. So if anyone out there knows the correct name, you could let us know. Contact us through our website. Well, he purchased this his. Uh, this business for $2,341.67. Can you imagine? Well, you know, they say, <clears throat> this is something I learned on Twitter not too long ago or something that was going around, that a lot of entrepreneurs, they start their businesses for $5,000 or less, even today. And I think that's interesting because, I mean, if you think about it, it two thousand, a little over $2,000 in the late 1800s early 1900s is a lot of money mm-hmm. actually the raglan building that our museum is housed in the raglan house was purchased in the 1940s for five thousand dollars and it's like a million dollar property yeah it's so, crazy yeah so even 2300 then was kind of a lot of money you know it's, it's a lot of money but it's still like it's a whole building 
It's <laughs> well, it's the building, it's the business, it's the saddles, the yeah, equipment. Yeah, all the equipment as and well. And that equipment's always been expensive. Saddle mm-hmm. making, leather tooling equipment. I think that's all always been. It, well, it's an artisan equipment. It's mm-hmm. not factory equipment, you know. And so I think. Uh, after that, he was elected mayor of Sweetwater in 1908. He was 37 at the time. There was approximately 7,500 residents. Um, he helped to bring in the Santa Fe Railroad, which do you know a little bit more about the Santa Fe Railroad than I do? I don't think so. Honestly, I don't. I've been researching the Santa Fe Railroad a little bit at this point, but I do know that S.D. Myers and Thomas Trammell were actually Judge Crane and Judge Raglan as well were all instrumental in bringing the railroads into Sweetwater and making those connections and making sure that we were a really thriving community. You know, Sweetwater is the dead center of the United States. Yeah, and we, we're we really a railroad town. It's like we don't even, <laughs> our streets aren't north to south. They're aligned with the railroad. Our streets, that's right, they do. <laughs> and actually, uh, from what I've read, S.T. Myers was also instrumental in getting the Lamar Street underpass. It wasn't done until decades after he left Sweetwater, but he was the one that proposed that we have an underpass to bypass the railroads so the railroads could go through town and people wouldn't be restricted and travel back and forth to this from main part of town to the south mm-hmm. side of town because yeah, it is it's a lot of trouble when you're on if you don't go through that underpass and you get caught at that railroad you're going to be there for a while a while yeah, yeah. Uh, and it cuts off the whole half of the town <clears throat> um it's literally the other side of the tracks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so in world war one he made five thousand mcclellan saddles for the u.s cavalry and we have some uh what are those decrees or something that where they were thanking him for his for his service for his that? service and yeah, S. T. Myers was so fascinating. Yeah. He he made items for the military. He made items for presidents. He made items for the Wild West shows. I mean, he knew everyone knew who S. D. Myers was. And later, his holsters were heavily sought after. That was the thing. Like even when because they kind of slowed down on the saddle making. And it was the holsters that everybody they wanted an S. D. Myers uh, leather holster. A holster, yeah. And we actually have a. a pretty good collection of his stuff here i think the henderson well it is the henderson family but it's the newman family they had such close ties to him because he made a lot of the saddles for their racetrack when it was in town that they have a lot of his original artifacts from from that time period and they have some nicer pieces than we do so it'd be be really interesting to well that's the thing about him he's like a lot of times people with their sd meyer saddles they're going to hold on to them yeah, I think we we get the ones that were they're not like beat up or anything, but they were definitely probably uh, found in a, a garage somewhere or, or a barn like or yeah. or somewhat. Yeah, I, I think so. Or or by a family that they don't ride or they don't you know mm-hmm. for whatever reason. But in or they wanted them to be donated in memory of their family members. Mm-hmm. We do have really, some nice ones. We have some really we have nice some ones. really nice ones. Yeah, and and St. Myers is just such a good craftsman. And we actually have saddles from other saddle companies and some that are more rare than S.D. Meyer mm-hmm. saddles. S.D. Meyer saddles are very rare because he only made saddles for a limited time in Sweetwater. And part of that was due to a fire. Mm-hmm. It, it burned all of the um, square down in a, a lot of the businesses. It burned the courthouse down. Yeah, that fire was in 1919. And it, it's, you know, it, it, they, they say that's the reason uh, that he left, but uh, there's also claims that it was probably a little bit to do with him divorcing his wife. Oh, probably. Because he divorced her around that time, and he got, got a new wife, 
And it was just, a, I'm sure it's just a great excuse to, to start to, a new life. Yeah, and start over. And if you have an SD Meyer saddle that says, he moved to El Paso. If you have an SD Meyer saddle that says El Paso, although it's still valuable as an SD Myers product because he made such good quality products, it's nowhere near as val- valuable as a saddle that says Sweetwater mm-hmm. on it. And he uh, actually, for a lot of his saddles, and I don't know, I can't for sure say all of them, but I do know the ones especially that were made in Sweetwater. He included the plans for the saddles in the saddle. He would sew it back up, and so when someone brought in a saddle for repair, he could open it. Oh, that's really cool. And get his plans yeah, back out and see exactly what it was to start with. I mean, which I'm sure he could probably follow along just looking mm-hmm. at it, but it's it's neat that he... Yeah, that he planned ahead for that, <clears throat> for something that only a saddle maker would find. Exactly. That's really cool. Yeah, nobody else, I mean, unless you're just completely tearing up your saddle, I guess (laughs) you wouldn't really. So do you want to read one of these letters, Justin? We have have a letter from S.D. Myers to Judge Crane, and one of the things that was... I was so excited about for this podcast is getting to read these letters and see the art of letter mm-hmm. writing. You know, you learn in school your, your salutation and your your greeting and your salut, you know, whatever, and your closing. And but these letters, and especially if you look at even older letters than this, um, there were some who who wrote the Prince Machiavelli. Is that? Or Machiavelli, I think he who he wrote the Prince, right? That book. But anyways, there's oh. some there's some old letters of his to so and they're all like my dearest, my most esteemed, and even there's I'm trying to think off the top of my head. For some reason I'm drawing a blank got, right now. I don't remember who wrote them, but we've got some here <clears> where they wrote it was two women that wrote each other, My Dearest Love Julie or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, they and we do, that's right. The best friends writing letters to each other too. Mm-hmm. They're they're love notes. They really are. Mm-hmm. They're love letters. And you know, I do that some with some of my girlfriends. Yeah, I just love you so much. And because I love you, here's something, you know, or I, I think of them dur- throughout the day. And so it's more of an instant communication instead of uh, sitting down and writing a long, thought out letter. But they just always were, you know, your most humble servant, even though it mm-hmm. was like just their friend. Or... Well, it's something that we take for granted that they couldn't talk to each other all the time. You know, uh, we have uh, we got one collection in when I first started working here. And it was all these postcards, and it was this, she was sending her friend postcards everywhere. She went to let her know, okay, I'm in this town. I'll see you when I get there, you know, things like that. Like, and it was just she would they would start out my dearest love or something like that, and they'd say I'm at the train station, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that's uh, they couldn't communicate as quickly as we could. No, and I guess the quickest you could you could communicate are telegrams, which mm-hmm. we have some, and especially a lot of those in our military display, the telegrams. But I can imagine how stressful that must have been to have to wait so long to hear back from mm-hmm. your person and that's that's the most instantaneous way but then that still has to be delivered once that telegram or it has to be picked up or you know replied to and sorry i hit the table <laughs> i could probably cut some of those <clears throat> out but okay so let's get started on this first letter speaking of uh there's a lot of self-deprecation too, I think, in some of these letters, mm-hmm. just like letting the other person know you're putting them above you while you're taking the time to write this letter to mm-hmm. them. I like that. So I'll read a little bit and I think I might let you read some. You know what? Actually, I think you should read it, Justin, because it's a man's voice. Okay. I'll probably big time stutter. Um, I was trying to re- I was stuttering in my head reading this the other day. <laughs> so. Well, if Justin can't pull it off, I'll do it. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, it's shiny. It is. Look at all, this, all these complaints I'm lodging so I don't have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, I'm just reading the first paragraph of the letter to give you an idea of 
how S.D. Myers spoke. This letter is dated May 2nd, 1933. It's written to Judge R.C. Crane, who was in Sweetwater, and it's written by S.D. Myers, who was in El Paso at this time. He'd already moved over there. It says, Dear Judge, I should have answered your letter a long time ago, but the facts are that I've studiously been avoiding two things, one of which is work, the other is paying honest obligations. Some time, some time ago, I declared a moratorium on each, and as writing comes under the class of work, I have not violated that resolution. And if you were a creditor, that you would know that I fully respected the other. And today, it is with reluctance that I make an effort to answer any of your appreciated letters, as I fear by doing so, I shall invite the habit of work. And if I should, <laughs> and if I should violate one of our good resolutions, I would probably violate the other. It is the custom with all of my clients to avoid paying anything, and I've also been affected with this same malady. And it seems to be nationwide, and this has been done, d- done so by necessity and not by choice. If time permit, I would really like to enter into a talk with you of some of the problems that confronts our nation, but time will not permit this conversation. Yeah, so like, it was just written in 1936. We have to remember that in 1919, S.D. Mars was already gone, and he actually didn't sell his saddle shop until 1937. He, he still owned it. Um, I think at one point, did he lease it out to another company to... For a little bit, or was that in 1937? Did they buy it? Because there was the, the Sweetwater other, Saddle Company that existed for a year. Yeah, there was, a, and the, and we actually have a saddle from them, the Sweetwater Saddle Company. Mm-hmm. We have one saddle, and those are extremely rare because there was only one year. But <clears throat> I don't think so because I th- he kept the name with him, and he kept it in El Paso. And then I know, I do know that the last gentleman that owned the name, he bought the S.T. Myers name. We actually just got a pretty big donation of his stuff that was found in the old Staten's building that's being renovated right now. As we were clearing it out, we found some letters and invoices from that company, but they had moved up to... Oh, I don't want to misspeak. It was either Massachusetts or Maine, but somewhere in New England. Mm-hmm. The, they somewhere were, Emmy. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> they were uh, selling saddles with the with the S.D. Myers name, and then he moved back to Sweetwater and was working out of the building that S.D. Myers worked out of for a while. He had two locations in Sweetwater, S.D. Myers did. And so the first one was way down... Uh, the block on Oak Street. It's it's at Third and Oak, and the other one is closer to Broadway and Oak, which was actually Second Street until until the Bankhead. The Bankhead Highway came through there, yeah. But uh, I know he had the name for a long, long time. He has a daughter that's in college now, and he had it when she was a baby. So. 20 years at least, mm-hmm. and I think before then. And this is the man that purchased the name from S.D. Myers. From S.D. Myers, yeah. And so I'm not really sure necessarily what happened in between there. So if there are some really educated S.D. Myers fans, we definitely will probably try to do just an S.D. Myers only Yeah, we, we kind of have an S.D. Myers expert on our board. We do, Mr. Bird. We'll have to have him come in and tell us. And he'll tell you all the things that we got wrong about S.D. Myers in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so this, this letter is interesting because it was written to Judge R.C. Crane, and that's Royston C. Crane. I, top of my head. Campbell. Campbell, yes. Thank you. Campbell. Um, <laughs> Campbell, yes. But R.C. Crane, it, and what 
it seems that S.D. Myers is referring to is probably one of R.C. Crane's histories that he he wrote. He was a citizen historian. He kept very detailed records of Sweetwater's history that we unfortunately do not have. Most of his private papers are in Abilene and in Lubbock. They're at, I believe, McMurray and Tech. And I think Baylor has some of his papers. But he didn't live in Sweetwater for his entire life. He moved on and moved on to Abilene and did things there. He just always kept a really good history of Sweetwater while he was here. We actually, Carlos Alvarado Sr., the history teacher had a junior historians club that researched a lot of R.C. Crane's writings and and produced a book based on R.C. Crane's uh, history. We actually have a reprint of that that is for purchase here if anyone wants to look at it because it's a really which book is that unique it's called um I think it's called the history of Sweetwater I have it upstairs we used a lot of the information in there for the Sweetwater book that the pictorial history that we just did a couple of years ago and I gosh you had to ask me when I don't (laughs) you know I just finished my last final today this morning and so my brain is cooked like I'm done with my semester and I can't I'm not, I have to still dump all, I think I dumped all the information in my head this morning. And so I'm having trouble (laughs) retrieving the ones that were actually necessary. So So if you want to hire Melanie, know that she's going to forget everything. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) At least if I've just finished finals, give me a week and I'll be back on top of things. (laughs) But uh, R.C. Crane graduated from Baylor in 1884. He was born in 1864. So he graduated from college at 20. But of course, his father was a president of Baylor, so no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he didn't really graduate. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm kidding. And uh, I believe Crane, Texas is named after R.C. Crane's father, uh, William Carey Crane. And let's see, R.C., go ahead. No, I was going to say, isn't that crazy? Because he lived in a time when there were new towns forming. So it's just easy to say, hey, you want to name your town after me? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think he did a lot to building up Texas, mm-hmm. too. And and R.C. did a lot to building up Sweetwater. And mm-hmm. so we actually we have a Crane Street named after him. And he was par- law partners with Judge Ragland. He was a district judge, too, I believe. And we have his desk from his judge's chambers. And yeah. he was the county attorney in Roby as well. Mm-hmm. He was. He did a lot for Fisher, Nolan, uh, Taylor County, and oh, it says he served two terms as mayor. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. R.C. Crane also formed the West Texas Historical Association in 1924, and he served as its president for 24 years. He's the longest-serving president of that organization or I guess that association and we are lucky enough to have the current president coming to visit us on May the 3rd so oh that's cool they're going to help us we are trying to reestablish Nolan County Historic Commission and they're going to help guide us through that process and help us with resources and then the Pioneer Museum and the uh, Texas Tech Special Collections Library that houses a large portion of R.C. Crane's papers are forming a partnership a sharing partnership because we actually have some photos and documents that nobody else has 
Oh, well, that's around cool. RC Crane. Yeah. So they're really excited. And I talked to Ty Kreidler. He's the head of that department, I believe. And he was excited and was going to bring an assistant and started telling people around special collections what he was doing. And now everyone's coming, <laughs> like all the department heads from. Oh, that's really neat. From their system are coming. So we're really excited to meet them and have their input and do some good work with them and get some good archiving work. And since we have our installed research room upstairs i still want to say newly just because we've not finished it yet but the room itself has actually been installed now for two years it's just an enormous undertaking and so they are going to guide us and help us organize it really quickly and we do have a lovely volunteer that helps us with that on the weekends but it's you need 20 people working on it we have innumerable uh papers and books and it's just there's so many to go through that it's it's just, it's just daunting to look at it. Like when you, you go through one scrapbook and you, there's like, oh, man, so many different things just in the one little book. In one little bit. I know. And we try to organize it, you know, OK, let's put all the scrapbooks here. Let's put all of this here and all the newspapers here and all of the yearbooks here. And then you start looking, you're like, oh, well, we have to subdivide and, tr- you know, <laughs> and sub subdivide and. We need uh, our library staff to come over and spend <laughs> a whole week with us. So if you're hearing that, please. <laughs> please come help us. <laughs> it's the only thing we've ever needed. That and all the other things we really need. <laughs> There's tons of them. <laughs> so. Oh, and uh, did you want to talk about wash, and, wash tubs and easy? Yes, the comic strips. Mm-hmm. Royston Crane, R.C. Crane, Judge R.C. Crane's son is also R.C. Crane, but he's junior, and he was a comic strip artist. He did the Wash and Tubs and Easy and the Buzz Sawyer comic strips. We have samples of those here in our museum. But one thing that he did that was really neat and uh, unique to Sweetwater and Nolan County is that he built a fifinella what would you say that thing is called oh it's not a plaque it's not a uh no it's hard to explain it's kind of like a um it's a piece of art yeah it's it's solid wood and it's cut in her shape and it's painted just like her it looks like if you look at it now it looks it's pristine it looks great it's, the, it's amazing and it was the fifinella that was designed by disney company mm-hmm. is that right now walt disney and jacqueline cochran were Supposedly, they're pretty good buddies. Yeah. And then, but his company, he didn't design it personally. Is that? I think, so the director of the Wasp Museum, I was talking to him about it, and he, he said that he had just recently learned that it wasn't Walt Disney himself, that he had kind of relegated it off to like a, a small crew of people, and they designed Fifi Nella for the Wasps. Okay. Or but wasp. still, does it, yes, it's never Wasps. Yeah, don't pluralize it. It's Wasp. <laughs> it's already pluralized yeah. in it. So yeah, that's the Women Air Force Service pilot. It's like ATM machine. It's, yes, it's already taken it's care already of. It's already taken we? care of. <laughs> 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 yeah. I guess you have to call it an AT machine. And then you're gonna, I know. And everyone's going to, they're going to call you a pedant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, if something is pedantic, it's worrying about little details. Okay. Like if you're calling someone, so a pedant is somebody who's very pedantic. So they're kind of a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> like worried about the little details of things. Yeah. And like, well, listen, like you didn't put a, you didn't pause in that letter where there was a comma. It's like, you should go back and read it again. <laughs> we would never get through a podcast if we were pedantic. I know. <laughs> 
Well, I've got my toilet paper of the day, word of the day. <laughs> Would you even know they have that word of the day toilet paper? No. <laughs> Apparently. I don't know. I don't have any, but I think that they make word of the day toilet paper and you're, it's supposed to help you. This is probably a little too crass, but I <laughs> feel like I would waste like 10 words. <laughs> <laughs> I think they leave blank spaces. Okay, good. <laughs> we need quite a few. <laughs> I guess we could just get a calendar. <laughs> or having an app. I think there's an app that sends you <laughs> notifications. Yeah, don't put it on the toilet paper. I may not see it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so you should come by and check out our Fifi Nello. Mm-hmm. We, we, I think, mentioned last time that we made a rather large loan slash donation. Yeah, to loan the, soon to be, or soon in, I guess in the grand scale of things, to be donation to the wasp museum mm-hmm. but there are a couple of items that we did keep because the wasp history is important to nolan county and there are some things so the cut out the piece of art made by royston crane jr is here and uh we have some quilt a uh, quilt that was made by several wasps that and is, we were the like the pseudo wasp museum right like or the we were proto, the original proto wasp museum like. yeah we were the yeah not pseudo, not pseudo yeah <laughs> we were the original home of the wasp collection but when they opened up their own museum we thought it fitting that all of the collection be in one mm-hmm. place so we have loaned our part of that collection to them and they're actually going to start a big digitization project to digitize a lot of that stuff that we loaned over there. And so we are going to get that back in digital form. Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah. So we we can still use it for our displays and our exhibits mm-hmm. and our website and, you know, help share and help bring awareness to the WASP so they don't have to do everything mm-hmm. And we'll be listed as contributors on the Texas or Portal to Texas History on there, right? Yes, I um, believe. Speaking of which, if you try and Google RC Crane, Google Royston Crane, if you, or Royston Campbell Crane. If you type in RC Crane, you're going to get a bunch of toys. Yeah, or the big machines, the big real machines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, Royston, it's R-O-Y-S-T-O-N-C Crane. And, or if you put Royston Crane, Texas, he'll come up pretty quickly. But you'll find access to his records. They're all open access records at this moment at Texas Tech, at UT, at Baylor, well, UT host their mm-hmm. their records, but I believe they're actually text records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got a lot of our research from tech for this. So. Yeah, yeah, we really like what tech is doing with their digitization. Di- I can't see. It's talk. a hard word. Digitization yeah. of stuff. I don't know. We're going to get an email that we, that's the wrong word. I know. I was going to say it's <laughs> probably like digitize or I don't know. Digitalize. Can we say <laughs> Make it upwards. So today. Royston Crane, he died in 1956, which is not that long ago, but it's not that recent either. Now my mom was born. Well, maybe I shouldn't say when my mom it's was. Too born. late. It's our, everyone knows <laughs> she was born in 1956. Well, I think she. I think she should be proud for people to know because she doesn't look like she's 56. Oh, I mean, like she was born in 56. <laughs> she doesn't because she's not. But <laughs> she doesn't look like she was born in 56. Oh wow, I didn't like because my grandma was born in 55. Oh yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of, I guess they're real close in age. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Your grandma's just a year older. Yeah. But you're young. So, yeah, I'm real young. So y'all don't start really trying young. to do the math on the age difference between me and Justin here. <laughs> I was born in 91 and Royston Crane died at 91. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> That's kind of cool, though. Yeah, I, mean, I know. It, he's lucky to, uh, anyone <laughs> is lucky to live that long, I think. I know. S.T. Myers had a relatively long life, too. Born in 1871 and died in 1952. When I was doing the math, I looked at the wrong date. And I thought it, I thought he was born in 1897 and that he died in um, in 1958 or 1952. I was like, man, he was almost done. He lived hard. <laughs> <laughs> like I thought. <laughs> <laughs> no. Which it's we can we can include a picture of S.D. Myers. We don't have a picture of uh, Royston in the do we? Yes, we do. We I, do. I couldn't find. We'll, if we'll get it, and we'll put that in the show notes and we'll put a picture of S.D. Myers. And we'll put a picture of Temple. And we're actually, if you uh, start getting excited about Royston Crane as you find out about him, uh, Jordan's making us some T-shirts with Royston's face on them. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, they're real. They're going to be really neat. We t-shirts. need some Judge Raglan T-shirts too. He's got Judge Raglan has the coolest mustache ever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess R.C. Crane had a really cool mustache, too, didn't he? He did. You know, it's, uh, and I mean this with the utmost respect, is Jeff Allen. He's a new attorney at Wetzel and Carmichael. He's also on our board of directors. But he reminds me of Royston Crane oh, a lot. Yeah. yeah, they're both really into history. They're both attorneys. They're both really passionate and supportive of the town. I really, I, I, I thought that the other day when I was looking at him and I was thinking about this upcoming podcast. I like Jeff because he laughs at my jokes. Yeah, I like Jeff. He has a really good dry sense of humor. <laughs> he's he's one of those people when you meet him at first, you think he's shy, but he's just kind of taking you in. And when you get mm-hmm. to know him, he is so funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really like him. I like spending time with him. So should we talk about our last man of letters? Last but not least. Yeah. So our last man of letters is R. Temple Dixon. The R stands for Robert. Um, he was born on October 29th of 1934 in Seymour, Texas, which you researched and saw where that was. Yes, it's up by Vernon and Wichita Falls. It's between the Brazos and the Red Rivers. See, which is, I had pictured out in East Texas. So like way out there, like Louisiana line. It's, if that's what it felt the like. The Piney Forest. Seymour, Texas. His family was politically active. His father was a, a legislator and yes. a, or well, state legislator. Yes. And a, an attorney. His, fa- his grandfather was a district judge. And, and an attorney. Mm-hmm. So Temple graduated high school in early 50s, 51, 52 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, he married his high school sweetheart, sweetheart, Kathy Kerbo, in 1957. Yes, after. Oh, after the Andrea Doria she was on, right? Yes, she was on the Andrea Doria. She, she had, um, I, I read an article where she was talking about that, and she, um, oh, it's going to get grim, but she talked about all her friends that she had made dancing and having fun and that she just knew that they were all all probably dead yeah and the only reason that she was alive is because she didn't sleep that night Mm -hmm. or she was out late dancing or whatever but some had gone to bed early and they were down in their lower Mm -hmm. cabins and she just happened to be up on one of the upper decks Mm -hmm. and so that's why she was one of the survivors yeah and it's it's crazy because like she was in she was studying abroad in madrid and she was trying to get home, and they just said, well, we got you a ticket on the ship, and it had the <laughs> Andrea Doria. It's like a, a parent's worst nightmare. I know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, but of all the things to happen, like you never think, you know, I could see the Titanic with an iceberg where they're at in the middle of the sea, mm-hmm. and you know, but just to hit another ship, and especially yeah. in the 50s, you thought, I mean, there was a lot of good communication, a lot of good radar, especially after world war one and two mm-hmm. you know there were so many advances so this is going to be the, uh, probably our first tangent of the whole thing and i just have to tell you this joke how do you think the unthinkable i don't know with an iceberg <laughs> <laughs> it's a lisp joke yeah <laughs> 
Why does why does lisp is like the only word that sounds like what it is? I know. Like <laughs> they should, it's it's onomatopoeia and it's horrible. And it's <laughs> really chosen. mean for people people that have a lisp can never say, "Hey, I got a lisp." <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Poor guys. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so Justin may cut that out. <laughs> so, so Temple ran for uh, his first, he first ran for legislature while he was still a student at UT. Um, he lost. And the person he lost to, I can't, was, was it, I can't remember who, what the name of the man he lost to was, but he partnered up with that man later and they became uh, really good allies. Uh, Temple Dixon was a Democrat, and he was elected the, uh, to the House of Legislation finally uh, in 1964. I say finally, but I think it's only his second attempt. Um, he served as the uh, president of the Sweetwater School Board from 1979 to 1983. And he served in the House of Representatives and the Senate. Yes. We have a lot of stuff from his Senate. Well, we have some pictures from his time during, at the House of Representatives, but we have more things on his Senate. Yeah, work or I think from he, his well, he probably terms. was able to do more in the upper house. Yeah. Um, but he was elected to the Senate because he first served in the House. He served three terms in the House and he was elected to the Senate in 1988. And he only served two terms because his district was dissolved. Well, it was redistricted by a federal judge. Yeah. Um, and so he lo- he was pit against one of his fellow uh, senators and uh, just the bigger district. And uh, the way he was the way it was districted out, it was a. Uh, he, it, there's no way he could win, I don't think. Because of populations. Yeah, because of the populations. Yeah. And they, I think they cut out a lot of his supporters and put them in a different district. In a different district. And that's tough. I mean, that's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's tough when you're doing a good job and the people that you represent really like you. And then. Yeah, because people love, Te- like, they still love Temple. Yeah, Temple's great. I mean, my dad was friends with Temple. And I just, as a little girl, I just remember, you know, I've been gone, uh, moved away for so long. I didn't see him for a long time. And he unfortunately passed away before I moved back. Yeah, but, he had lung cancer. and. He battled it for 10 years. And he battled the tobacco industry. And we have a lot mm-hmm. of the paperwork about his battles. With yeah, the we've got industry. letters that people sent. Because after he, he was he was a chain smoker, wasn't he? Yeah. And after he got lung cancer, he became an anti-tobacco crusader. He was he wanted labeling. He wanted uh, accountability. Well, and because at that time, people didn't know. No, I mean, they you, sure didn't. You would I mean, think. You, in the, especially in the 60s, you go to the hospital, and your doctor's smoking a cigarette right in front of you. you yeah. It's like, yeah, you're pregnant. You're having a boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you <laughs> would think now, like, well, wasn't it common sense you're breathing in smoke? Of course, it's not going to be good for you. But you didn't know. I mean, yeah. you just didn't. Because people breathe then all kinds of smoke you would think oh well coal smoke or whatever you know and I don't and so you would think well yeah you'll get black lungs from that but I don't it, I don't people just didn't think yeah, about it's why tobacco they made lead that pipes way. and it's why they put lead in the paint and things like that people just didn't realize something was toxic back then. right right and as they learned and as it affected people they were really mad they felt duped there were some people that felt they did know though they they we got a, we have a letter we're not going to read it today but we do have a letter from somebody who, who wrote to temple and they said, shame on you, Temple Dixon, uh, for, for smoking all these years and then becoming an anti-tobacco crusader. Like they, they just did, they didn't like it. They didn't like that he was, uh, that he'd switched on that issue. But I mean, when you learn something new and especially when you realize oh, I'm going to die now because of this. Because of this, right. You yeah. Know, if someone had told me 40 years ago, maybe I wouldn't be dying right now. Or at least even if you were, you would have had the choice, yeah, you exactly. know, to know. Whether. But instead, you just thought it was perfectly fineless or fine, perfectly harmless, and and it's. it's I not. mean, people smoked on airplanes. I remember being on an airplane when I was like thirteen, and people were smoking, and I don't remember it ever bothering me. 
you know, or being in a restaurant and having people smoke in the smoking section. Like, what a crock is that? Mm-hmm. That you know, you have a smoking set. There's all open walls. There's yeah. no <laughs> no way to really keep it smoking versus non-smoking. And it never bothered me. But now, you know, I took my kid to a restaurant uh, over in Buffalo Gap, as a matter of fact, and we walked in and people were smoking in the restaurant. I was like, oh, we're going somewhere else. Like, yeah. I just can't. Well, when you get used to not smelling it, it's it's. It sticks out. You're like, oh, can't yeah. It's like, you know, because like I, my mom smokes, and I'm like, I'm used to it. But when you're when you're not when you're eating dinner, it's like it's a different thing. You're like, I don't want to smell it in a movie theater either. Yeah, I don't want to smell it in a closed and camped place. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it should be smoking outside where the trees can filter, and hopefully you have a yard of trees that'll filter out your yeah. Your oh, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I just hit bang the table. I'm okay. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but after, uh, so after Temple lost his reelection, he served, uh, or well, he served, he worked at the law practice, more, uh, more Dixon and Maxwell. Yes. And um, they were in the Raglan building, right? Yes. And Maxwell still is okay. in the Raglan building. And that's actually how uh, we now have Judge Raglan's desk from his, from that law office where he was partners with Judge Crane, who we just talked about and so we actually have judge raglan's desk and judge crane's desk one was from their law office and the others from the district judges chambers but and his office is really neat it still says r.a ragland at the top yes so you have a letter right now um well it's not really a letter as much as it's a speech yes it's temple dixon's farewell to the senate uh when they basically removed his district mm-hmm. from so do you want me to read that if you want yeah go for it Okay, I'll volunteer. (laughs) I volunteer as tribute. So this is dated January 14th, 1992, and it's a farewell to the 24th Senate District. And I believe this is Temple speaking, Mm -hmm. so I'm definitely not going to do it the justice at Temple's voice. You know, he's a tall man with a deep voice. and Well, I was a kid when I saw him, but still I think he was a tall Mm -hmm. man, you know, with a deep voice. And he was thin, just kind of lanky, cowboy. He looked like a cowboy, what you imagine. Yeah, he's described as the iconic Texas look, that if you think, imagine a a Texan, you're imagining Temple Dixon. Temple Dixon, yeah. And he was a Democrat. He was a Southern Democrat. He was very progressive, very forward-thinking, very uh, climate-conscious, very earth-conscious. And he and Kathy were pretty instrumental in some of the wind turbine industry And they were really good friends here. with uh, Ann Richards. Yes, and Ann Richards used to come in all the time. You know, it's funny because when she lost re-election, a lot, like if you go look at the counties that voted for Bush, because she lost re-election in 94, I believe, to George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. And Nolan County, our county, was one of the few counties to vote for uh, Ann. Ann Richards. Yeah. We're, it, I, rem- I remember that. I mean, I was a high school senior, so I was pretty self-involved and not really yeah. necessarily looking at, but because I was also 17 um, mm-hmm. when all that was going on. I wasn't voting That's age so yet. Gr- when I was 17, Obama and McCain were battling. Really? <laughs> so you're kind of aware of all of it, you know, when I just, I remember though, everyone loved it. And I loved Ann. You know, she's on a King of the Hill episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love her. Yeah, Ann Richards is the wife I'll never have. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That you always desperately want, though. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So this is Temple speaking. This is an unbearable report that I have to make to the people I was elected to represent in the Texas Senate. On Christmas Eve, two federal judges ruled that our Senate district would exist no more, that our district would be moved down around Duval County, and that its remnants would be spread into other Senate districts. Although we have been compelled to become accustomed to dealing with federal court intervention in our affairs, this decree is as unprecedented as it is outrageous. 
for the first time in the history of the United States, outside Reconstruction under a military dictatorship, a federal court has not only invalidated a law passed by the people you elected, but imposed a law of its own creation on us. These two judges have thus attempted to do by decree what their radical political friends have been able to do at the ballot box. I've protested and fought against this outrage in every way I could. I joined other elected officials in passing a new law setting up districts that had been approved by the U.S. Justice Departments. I've encouraged our Attorney General to appeal to the United States Supreme Court. He did this, but the Supreme Court has now failed us. It refused to take immediate action. Since it has been determined that this bitter pill must be taken, must be taken and that this is at least temporarily the law of the land and must be accepted. I conclude by saying to you in the counties which have been torn from our district by this act of judicial and political tyranny, the months and years we've worked together to understand and solve mutual problems will not have been for nothing. It has been my experience that given an opportunity, Texans will not allow a tyrant of any kind, judge or politician, to have his way with them. I will run for re-election from the district attached by the judges to my home, and I will not forget you and the work we've done together. I suspect that I am in whole or in part the target of this plot. However, I assure you that I will never give in, and in the end, we will prevail. So, Justin, you chose this for our letter today, and I like the reason that you gave. It just it felt like the Texas attitude. Yes. You know, we... we it's there's a joke that we're the freest of the free states. Like we're the America of America. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I think that's true. You know, there's and there's something very uh, liberal about Texas, even though we're conservative. It reminds A and M reminds me of mm-hmm. what it is to be Texas, and the reason I say that I have a, and I mentioned Professor McDermott last podcast. I love. Professor McDermott. He's probably my (laughs) mentor and my muse for a lot of things. But he said, you know, when I came to A&M, and he came from the East Coast, he said a lot of people said, oh, it's so conservative down there. You probably won't like. He said, and I got here, he said, and there, the, the, it is conservative, he said, but there's just that rowdy Texas spirit mm-hmm. that we're not, you're not going to tell us what to do. We're going to do what we want to do and you can try this, but we're going to fight back. And that's kind of what Temple embodied. Yeah. But if your car breaks down, we'll be there. We'll we're, be we're there. there to help you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You'll, and if, I mean, if you get lung cancer, he'll fight for you because you, you got it uninformed. And if you, you know what I really like it, and I wish we knew what exactly it was from, but there's some notes from one of Temple's opponents that, that were made (laughs) on a document we have in our Temple Dixon room where I don't know what Temple was saying, but man, that guy was mad (laughs) (laughs) and writing his rebuttals to Temple. But I mean, Temple was fiery and I can only imagine Mm -hmm. him giving the speech how, um, I like how he says we won't. What does he say? We won't bow down, bow down to tyranny. How does he say it? We uh, we have a long history of not letting tyranny stand. Yeah, yeah. The months years went. We'll see. Oh, Texans will not allow a tyrant of any kind to have his way with them, and I think that's true. Yeah. So. Yeah, as a Texan, I always feel safe. You do. I mean, even with. And it was goofy a little bit. The uh, what was the military exercise? Jade Helm 15. The Jade Helm 15 thing, right? And it's goofy. And a lot of people made fun of our government. I did. I made fun of it. I thought it was hilarious that Texas was was worried about it. But But, (laughs) there's the but. There's the but is 
that yeah maybe it was goofy for them to get involved and maybe there was nothing going on but our governor was looking out for our best interests and in better to be safe than yeah, sorry. Even if it was all hypey and even if he was pandering, as some people said, yeah. I, I still knew like they're not going to let something like that happen. Even if it's even even if it's a mild thing, yeah, send out the Texas National or the Texas State Guard. Let yeah. them watch it. Who cares? I didn't care. Yeah, no, yeah, and and just the fact that Texas still views us. I know people joke with us and say, yeah, Texas Texas was once a, its own country and they still think they are. But we kind of are. Yeah, the sovereign republic of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Texas sets the standards for a lot of things. And, you know, in this personal politics yeah. aside, you know, there, there, I do have some problems with the education standards we've been setting lately, maybe because of certain decisions made at upper levels that I think, though, I've seen lately that they're reversing some of that when we had funding cuts mm-hmm. to our education. I think some of those funds are coming back. They're reversing some of those prior decisions. And so we, again, are rising to lead the nation as far as education, to lead the nation, to create more men of letters and to have that fighting spirit that Texans have. I think, you know, maybe we say it because we are Texans. Um, I, I do know people that I know from other states that have come to Texas or lived in Texas for any amount of time. They say, man, y'all are real proud of Texas. Texas is on <laughs> every commercial. And I said, well, y'all don't do it in, in your, you know, y'all don't, put like where it he said well i'm from maryland i said oh well, i wouldn't put it on there either <laughs> my friend from new jersey could not believe that we had a texas history class i said you don't have a new jersey history class he goes no but other states do some do yeah georgia yeah. has a georgia history class yeah i think like tennessee that, has a t- and maybe it's I, I don't know i don't know why well, is it just in dixie <laughs> I, I don't know that's what i was thinking but no because i was because i was uh coming up with educational uh lesson plans for our upcoming you know our out the upcoming for the next year school year outreach and I was looking at Texas state standards and how we can meet those standards for the teachers and kind of help them out but I was looking at other states and so several states do have uh, their state history class but I mean New Jersey who would want (laughs) to yeah and they haven't really they haven't been in six different countries like we have Right, yeah, our Six Flags over Texas. We need to do a podcast someday about the Six Flags of Texas Mm -hmm. because we have plenty of flags around here. I don't think we have one of each of the Six Flags, but we do have uh, photos from uh, the Spanish-American Wars. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what we have photos And we have plenty of, I say plenty, but we have a few pictures from the Civil War. We do have some. Speaking of, you know, Mr. Hitt, he told me the other day that he was, he says, I met Civil War vets when I was a little boy. Okay, so Mr. Hitt, and you guys, if y'all ever want to meet the coolest person ever just come hang out at the museum and wait for mr hit to come by because we love mr hit but he actually wrote emory a letter because he he did he said you know i was thinking that you and i are kind of alike when he was 10 years old he met some civil war soldiers and when he met them it had been about 70 years since the end of the civil war and so he you know listened to them tell their stories and stuff and then he met emory and when she was about 10 years old we we had our Veterans Day celebration. We had a lot of World War II and Vietnam, sol- you know, war soldiers here. I, d- I don't remember if we had any Korean War soldiers. I think that's 
we really would like to get some more Korean War veterans in here. But anyways, we had uh, several World War II veterans and she got to meet them and ask some questions. And he said, and it just hit him that, hey, it's been 70 years since the end of World War II. And so just that they were both the same age and had been about 70 years since the end of that previous war. And he just thought that was neat. They had that in common. And so he wrote her a really sweet letter and signed it a World War II veteran. That's really cool. Yeah, I really like Mr. Hit. He was part of the 10th Mountain Division. and um, He's on our YouTube channel. We have a couple of videos with him. Yeah, he is. Speaking of our YouTube channel, Mm -hmm. you can find us online at our website. It is www.pioneermuseumtx.org. You'll find links to our YouTube, Facebook, Twitter there. And our YouTube channel has lots of documentaries, a lot of educational videos. And by the time you hear this, we should have added about two or three more, I think, Mm -hmm. to that. And we just are glad you guys are joining us today. We... I learned a lot today. Again, my brain is toast from school. I've been <laughs> I've been on uh, educational programming mode, and I, by the time this podcast comes out, it still won't have happened. So I get to tell you guys. So upcoming, the educational program I was outlining out is seniors teaching seniors. So we're trying to get high school seniors, incoming high school seniors, they'll be seniors next year to teach senior citizens uh, smartphone and tablet technology. They're going to teach them how to take a photo, upload a photo, how to create a social media account, and how to manage that social media account. And then the senior citizens are going to teach the high school seniors how to write a letter. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And it shows some old photos from photo albums and kind of talk about some of their experiences. We think the high school seniors will kind of get some history lessons through storytelling, but it also expands their support network uh, because these high school seniors that we are are that or that are involved in this program are also first call first generation college students or will be first generation college students and so the bigger support network we can offer them the better they do in college and uh, the more tech technologically savvy I guess that senior citizens are the more autonomy they have and they regain some of their independence so we're excited to see how that goes it'll be a series of six sessions and we'll be taking open applications um, until June the 4th. So that should be, I think, the week this comes out, right? I think, mm-hmm. oh, June the 11th, I'm sorry. We'll be taking them until June the 11th. So the week this comes out, I think, will be June the 6th. So look for that. Or no, May 20th. It doesn't Whenever this comes out, guys. Yeah, it'll, it'll show up and you'll hear this news and you'll be like, oh, okay, it's before. It's before. <laughs> We've still got time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our release schedule's a little, we still haven't got worked out the kinks yet. Yeah. I think this is coming out May 20th. So, okay. okay. Sorry. I'm very confusing. So, as a matter of fact, by the time this podcast airs, it'll still be open applications for a position. So, if you know a senior citizen that, or are a senior citizen that would like to learn more about t- technology, I don't know, would would technologically challenged senior citizens be listening to a podcast? <laughs> Maybe not. So it'll If you're listening our, to this and you know someone who needs some help, go get them. Yeah, and then they can listen to this podcast with you. Yeah, well, that, that's maybe something we can teach them how to find podcasts, things like that on the... Because a lot of them have iPhones that they 
it's just to them it's a, it's a camera maybe maybe <laughs> and it's a phone right and uh i know that there's several times that like you know i've got friends that couldn't figure out how to, turn, how to lock their phone they couldn't figure out what like how to actually make it go off and they're and they're probably pretty proficient with other mm-hmm. technology. So imagine how hard it is for someone that's never really used it before. And one of the reasons I really wanted to do this too is I had an elderly friend. She actually just passed away last year, but she was 92 and she went out and got her an iPhone because she said, you know, I just felt out of touch with my family. She, she didn't get pictures sent to her in the mail because everyone was sending them through text. They mm-hmm. were posting them their Facebook and she said, I just wanted to see them again. I just wanted to talk to him and as soon as she got a smartphone all of her grandchildren were texting her all the time they, they were love all, doing it they do they do and so she had some problems and we had to go over it several times with her but she she picked it up and, and she just felt more connected she didn't mm-hmm. feel so alone and so it's important we really want to do that so anyways look forward to that coming up and we uh we'll talk to y'all next week bye everybody <laughs>